Hi, this is Jill Harrison, Executive Director of the National Institute on Aging Impact Collaboratory at Brown University. Welcome to the Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speakers and ask them the interesting questions that you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of the companion Grand Rounds content can be found at impactcollaboratory.org. Thanks for joining. Hello, everyone. I'm Jill Harrison, one of the executive directors at the NIA Impact Collaboratory. Today's speakers are Mark Newman. He is a Horatio C. Wood Associate Professor of Anesthesiology and Critical Care and an Associate Professor of Medicine Geriatrics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Justin Clapp is an Assistant Professor of Anesthesiology and Critical Care, Medical Ethics and Health Policy, also from the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. The NIA Collaboratory hosts a monthly Grand Round series, and typically these have a companion podcast. This past week, you presented a well-attended Grand Rounds on the topic of enrolling and retaining people living with dementia in a pragmatic trial of spinal versus general anesthesia for hip fracture surgery. Can you please give us a high-level summary of the REGAIN trial? Absolutely. It's great to be on the podcast and share our work. The REGAIN trial was a study we did with funding from the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute to understand patient-centered outcomes after spinal or general anesthesia for hip fracture surgery in older adults. Spinal and general anesthesia are the two most common types of anesthesia that hip fracture patients receive for surgery. Spinal anesthesia involves numbing the legs with an injection in the back. General anesthesia is medically induced unconsciousness and often involves placing a breathing tube temporarily to support patients' breathing. Both of these types of anesthesia have been used for more than 100 years. And patients with hip fracture are a very large population in the U.S. It's over a quarter million patients a year, and surgery is the indicated treatment. Hip fracture is also a very common injury for persons with Alzheimer's disease or other dementias. About 20% of patients with hip fracture have either Alzheimer's disease or another dementia at the time that they present. And almost all of these patients get surgery. Until now, we haven't had good randomized trial evidence comparing outcomes for patients with hip fractures who get spinal or general anesthesia. The REGAIN trial filled that gap by randomizing 1,600 patients across 46 hospitals in the United States and Canada to standard care, spinal anesthesia, or general anesthesia. Overall, our findings were that clinical outcomes were were very similar for patients who got either anesthesia technique. Delirium or acute confusion after surgery happened at similar rates in each group. Mortality was similar across groups. And the likelihood that somebody would recover function to be able to walk again independently after surgery was also similar across groups. In REGAIN, we were able to recruit a number of persons who had Alzheimer's disease or other dementias or other cognitive impairment. In our main sample, about 13% of patients had a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease or another dementia, and another 23% had some degree of cognitive impairment. We're currently doing additional analyses to understand how outcomes may have differed for persons with versus without cognitive impairment before surgery, but the REGAIN findings as they are provide lots of new information to help guide decision-making for all hip fracture patients. Wow, thank you so much for that. Can you share a little bit more about your experience recruiting and enrolling people living with dementia for the trial? Absolutely. 
one of the big limitations of prior research on anesthesia for hip fracture patients is that people with Alzheimer's disease or other dementias had often been excluded from trials, especially trials looking at cognitive outcomes such as delirium. When we started Regain, we were very committed to making sure that we made accommodations to include people who had cognitive impairment or dementia. The way we did this is we ensured that people could enroll in our study if they were interested, even via proxy consent. And a substantial number of our patients did enroll via proxy consent. We also made sure that we had data collection mechanisms that were appropriate for individuals who may have had challenges in communicating due to dementia or other conditions. For our primary outcome, which was collected by telephone, we permitted proxy reporting of that outcome, which allowed us to include individuals who may themselves not have been able to report their outcomes in the study. That said, we encountered a number of challenges in recruiting people with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias that we feel provide some lessons for other studies. One of these, for example, had to do with consent rates. We didn't track rates of Alzheimer's disease or other dementia in people who declined consent. But anecdotally, many of the conversations that we had in enrolling people with Alzheimer's disease and other dementia and their families highlighted uh, challenges in enrolling patients and including them. That said, we still enrolled a large number of people with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, a total of about 13% across the study sample. Wow. Dr. Clapp, could we tag you in? Talk a little bit about what role clinicians played in the REGAIN trial, if you would, please. Yeah, so obviously clinicians' participation in pragmatic trials is crucial. When Mark was wrapping up this big study, he came to me and said, hey, this might be a good opportunity to try to kind of figure out how clinicians are making decisions about whether to enroll a patient or not. And there's a long kind of history of literature among trialists and among research ethicists about this problem of what trialists have traditionally called gatekeeping. That is when physicians can kind of facilitate or prohibit access to their patients. Trialists have traditionally kind of viewed this obviously as a problem, right? Because it can lower enrollment rates, it can make trials difficult to complete, and it can damage the generalizability of of trial findings. But what we really wanted to do was see, you know, why this was happening. And there had been some studies out there of the conversations, for example, that physicians have with patients about trials, informed consent conversations, but there hadn't really been any studies really digging into like how physicians determined whether they thought a given patient was suitable for enrollment in a clinical trial. We thought, okay, this is a great opportunity with Regain because we have an actual sort of concrete, recently completed trial that physicians can talk about. And so we identified a number of physicians who had a sort of combination of cases where they were okay with randomizing patients and other cases where they decided to withdraw patients from the study. And we interviewed them about these specific cases. And while that's this study, this interview study wasn't specifically focused on patients with dementia, dementia came out as a very prominent theme because it was probably the most frequent kind of patient attribute that led physicians to have some discomfort around randomization. And the nature of that discomfort was really based on their concern about getting patients with dementia through a spinal anesthetic procedure, if that's what they had been randomized to, as well as getting them through the sort of OR experience under spinal anesthesia. And so 
they really would sort of have these very nuanced interactions with patients and their families, and they would pick up on certain behavioral or appearance clues that would lead them to think, okay, this is a patient where it's going to be problematic, or this is a patient where I think I can sort of get them through this. That was very interesting to see because a lot of the kind of discussion around this issue of gatekeeping assumes that physicians are really kind of weighing research evidence, right, and saying, okay, Here's a patient where, according to the to the research that's out there, one option I don't think is clearly better than the other, so I'm okay with randomizing them. Or here's a patient where there's a bunch of research evidence pointing in one direction, so I don't think they should be randomized because I think they would really benefit from this one treatment. But what we saw with the case of patients with dementia is that it really wasn't an issue of sort of what was out there in the literature, right? It kind of came down to these personal interactions, and they were really dynamic and really nuanced. And so that presents, I think, an opportunity for the development of sort of of different strategies and different evaluations of different ways of evaluating, you know, the extent to which this kind of gatekeeping is justified when it comes to patients with dementia. It seems like you learned, you know, tremendous amount of information from the REGAIN trial. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're going from here? What's next? You know, obviously we have, we have some analyses still to do on REGAIN. We have to learn more about how anesthesia choices might impact outcomes for individuals who have dementia or cognitive impairment. We're also interested in seeing if the observations we took from our interviews with physicians generalize to other trials. Physician decision-making and its role in either helping trials succeed or, or limiting the success of trials is something that's not just unique to regain. When we talk about trials that are happening at the point of care, where clinicians are involved and you're, you're studying things that intersect with the daily work of clinicians, understanding how those two things fit together is really important. Until now, we haven't really seen a lot of discussion that brings in the perspective of the clinicians who sometimes may be involved in these studies. And, and we think there are ways to potentially improve trials by, by bringing those voices in. These may include new approaches to determining eligibility criteria for studies or, or creating approaches to try and decrease selective enrollment by educating clinicians or bringing in behavioral strategies. All of these things are on the table, and I think hopefully there'll, something, there'll be something that we talk more and more about as pragmatic trials grow as a part of our research landscape. Well, Dr. Mark Newman, Dr. Justin Clapp, both from University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, thank you so much for sharing your important research with us today and all you do to improve the lives of people living with dementia. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to today's Impact Laboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Please be on the lookout for our next Grand Rounds and podcast next month.